Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, and joining me today is my colleague, Mark Schwartz. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Amazon? Sure. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Happy to be here with you. So uh, I'm Mark Schwartz. I am an enterprise strategist with AWS. Before I joined AWS, I was the CIO of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services in the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, That was really my only time in government. Before that, I was CIO of a company in San Francisco, CEO of a software company. Uh, And I am the author of three books, a fourth one coming soon. Uh, Most recent one, of course, was War and Peace in IT. And I'm happy to answer whatever questions you've got for me on it. So this is the sequel to War and Peace? It is. Um, It's, uh, you know, I figured Tolstoy never got around to talking about digital transformation. And so I wanted to just sort of close the loop for him a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, Well, uh, first of all, the reason why it's called War and Peace in IT, uh, I was fascinated by one of the stories that Tolstoy tells in the book. And and it hit me that it it really helped to explain some of the things we were seeing in digital transformation. So uh, War and Peace is about, uh, or it has as as its background anyway, Napoleon's invasion of Russia in 1812. And uh, there's a great moment in Tolstoy's telling of it at the Battle of Borodino, where Napoleon is on top of a hilltop outside of the town of Borodino, and he's commanding his army from there. And uh, and uh, he's about a mile away from the battle. So how is he commanding his troops? Well, messengers periodically ride up to Napoleon on his hill, tell him what's going on. Napoleon makes a decision, sends them back again. And uh, they tell the troops what to do. Now, the the problem is that uh, in one great scene in, in Tolstoy's novel, the messenger gallops up to Napoleon and says, we've taken the bridge over the river. Do you order the troops to cross it? And Napoleon thinks about it and sends back the message, yes, have them cross the river and I'll join them there. Uh, what Napoleon doesn't realize is that in the time since the messenger left the battle, not only have the Russians retaken the bridge, but they've actually burned it. So Napoleon's order is is kind of nonsensical. Uh, and it occurred to me that really this is what we see with a lot of large enterprises in the digital era, where the lead time for them to make a decision and implement a change is very long, but the lead time with which things are changing in the business environment is very short. In the digital age, uh, there's constant disruption, there's changes in consumer behavior, regulation, geopolitics, all kinds of things are changing really fast. Uh, And on the other hand, enterprises, especially when IT is involved, have set themselves up to Oh, you know, first write business cases and then collect requirements and then do design and then have a long implementation process. So their lead time for responding to something is so long. And those two things don't go together. When things are changing fast around you, you can't have the slow response to it. Um, so that's why I, I thought it was a, a good illustration to sort of start from this war and peace idea. And really the book, the book is about um, how 
enterprises can integrate IT with the rest of their operations to, to mix together IT and the business instead of those being separate things in order to speed up their response and be, be able to deal with the digital age. So it sounds like you're targeting more of the uh, non-IT executives in this book uh, as opposed to your earlier books. Well, uh, this book is primarily written for senior enterprise leaders, generally not IT leaders. So it's uh, in a way, it's about how these senior leaders can be working with their IT organizations in order to succeed in the digital age. Uh, my previous books were a little bit more targeted towards CIOs and other uh, senior IT leaders. But this one, I, I specifically tried to write for those outside of IT trying to figure out how to, how to get the impact they want from technology. Mm, that's great, you know, because I think um, we have enough books for CIOs. I think some of the other executives could, could use some advice as well. All right, so now we're going to take some questions that were submitted on LinkedIn. And the first question is from Alan. He said, I am the outgoing CTO at Mercy Corps, an international NGO. What differences do you see between the challenges faced by a CIO of a nonprofit such as ours and the challenges faced by a CIO of a private sector company? If there are differences, how have they been overcome? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, because as I said, I, I have some background both in the commercial sector and the public sector, not just government, but also nonprofits. Um, so I think there, there are a tremendous number of similarities in the challenges faced by enterprises in the commercial sector and enterprises in the public sector. But there's a, a big advantage that the public sector often has, and that is that they're very focused on mission accomplishment. Uh, people are motivated by uh, whatever the, the mission of the organization is, and that helps a lot with um, the way that I, I think um, you want to go about doing IT. Uh, I, I often talk about uh, sort of working backwards from mission. And uh, instead of an IT organization receiving lots of requests to do IT things and then trying to prioritize between those, a better way to do things is to start from the mission or the goals of the organization and uh, work backwards to what that means needs to be done, and then have the IT organization work proactively with the rest of the business to address those particular things that are most important for accomplishing mission. Um, and so public sector organizations, nonprofits, for example, have that advantage that everybody's already sort of polarized and operating towards mission. And they can see uh, see their way very clearly to how what they're doing actually affects that final mission. Um, public sector often has a, another disadvantage uh, from what I've seen, which is public sector organizations often have a lot of stakeholders. Um, so it can be really hard to get consensus between those stakeholders and, and to get everybody in agreement. Everybody agrees on mission but there are a lot of different interests in how it's accomplished. So in my government agency, for example, not only did I have to keep my agency happy, but there was also uh, our parent agency, Homeland Security. There was an inspector general. There was GAO, Government Accountability Office, OMB, the Office of Management and the Budget. There, was, uh, there were industry lobbyist groups. There were congressional committees. Homeland Security, I don't know if you know this, is overseen by more than 100 different congressional subcommittees. Uh, so that's a lot of stakeholders you have to keep happy. 
And that can complicate uh, transformation and, and IT success quite a lot. Uh, but aside from those things, that, that big advantage and that big disadvantage, the challenges that uh, public sector enterprises tell me they're facing and the challenges that commercial enterprises tell me they're facing tend to be very, very similar from what I've seen. Right. Yeah. And, and it's so important to get that, that sense of a mission in, in either case in order to get all your people aligned um, uh, to achieve your goals. That makes a lot of sense. So we have another question here uh, from Sharad. He's director of cloud services engineering at Live Nation. And he asks, how can leaders make time for their teams to add business value when they don't have enough resources to keep up with the existing requests? Is it necessary to sacrifice keeping the lights on in order to innovate? Mm. So I, I think uh, sometimes that question comes up because of that um, uh, sort of uh, structure that I talked about, where you, you have this IT and the business thing. And uh, if if the IT organization is reactive and is waiting for requests from the rest of the business, you'll you'll always find that IT is short on capacity. There's a, there are always more requests than can possibly be handled, um, which is one reason why I suggest sort of flipping the model and saying, you know, IT is working from the basic goal and, and uh, then uh, maybe even telling the rest of the business what they should be working on in some cases. Um, so that that uh, constant being behind the the ball in in uh, uh, capacity, I think, uh, will happen less if IT is merged into the rest of the business, as thinking as part of the rest of the business, and and doing its own thinking essentially. Um, so that's that's one one uh, point I'd like to make. A second point is um, we we uh, assume that the things that we spend money on each year in IT are sort of an unpleasant burden, you know, keeping the lights on thing and we have to keep doing it. And then we only have a small amount left over for other stuff. Well, first of all, um, choosing to keep the lights on to keep spending on those things is, is a choice, just like any other choice. Uh, you do keep spending on it if you think it's going to add value to the business but you don't necessarily have to. Um, so I think you can you can do sort of a zero-based budgeting kind of train of thought. It's of, of these legacy things, which ones are still really adding value? And, and you know, if they are, maybe you invest some more in them. I also think a lot of innovation gets hidden in this uh, keeping the lights on cost. Uh, from my experience, when uh, an IT organization is uh, maintaining systems. Uh, what they're really doing is not maintenance. It's um, adding features and changing features as necessary because the business is changing. And that really is its innovation work. You know, it's, it's uh, bringing the business along into whatever its contemporary situation is and finding new ways to do it. Um, so uh, I suggest just sort of questioning everything around this, you know, which of the keeping the lights on things do you really need to do? Uh, to what extent are you actually putting innovation into that category? Because in every case you are, that's, that's happy news. Right. So it's about kind of being aligned on that mission. So how do we get IT leaders to change the way that they're thinking and to kind of stop thinking of it as us in the business and more, you know, we're all in this together to serve uh, the mission yeah. of serving our customers. 
Well, what I what I suggest in the book is that it's a matter of um, uh, putting aside that idea that technologists are just service providers to the business. You know, we, we've always had this um, sort of IT and the business way of talking as if IT is one thing and the business is a different thing. And there's like a, an arm's length relationship between the two. It's like IT is a, almost a contractor to the rest of the company. Uh, requirements get tossed over the wall to the technologists. The technologists deliver a result to the rest of the company. You know, it's almost as if they're not even employees. It's this weird IT and the business thing. And and by the way, we don't talk about marketing in the business or finance in the business or, you know, operations in the business. It's really a an IT thing to make that distinction. And as a result, the technologists often are sort of separated from that mission. You know, it's the, their, their job isn't to accomplish the ultimate goals of the company. Their job is to accomplish what others in the company tell them to do as sort of service providers. And so my suggestion is that we, we have to stop thinking that way. Uh, instead of IT receiving a bunch of requirements and a bunch of proposed projects and so on, um, IT leaders need to take a much more proactive role in starting from that ultimate mission or the ultimate goals of the company figuring out how best to meet them, and then maybe even uh, pushing the rest of the business to um, to work with them to accomplish the mission. Right. And, you know, it seems like keeping the lights on, uh, you could innovate uh, in doing that as well. Yeah. I mean, so either way, you're putting in effort into uh, what IT is doing. And so the question is, how do you do it? Yeah. Uh, I can tell you one way not to do it, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, the first instinct of, of CIOs is to say, oh, I have to build a business case for each of these things that I want to do. And my business case has to justify it in terms of return on investment, um, because otherwise I can't convince the rest of the business that we have to do it. Um, Return on investment for a lot of the things that, that we talk about or that we do in IT, um, it's almost impossible to really calculate or it's much more effort to calculate than it's worth for decision making purposes. So I think that, you know, put everything in terms of ROI way of thinking doesn't really work. Instead, uh, I think the, the basis for making those kinds of decisions is there are those company priorities and they have to be they have to be met the top priorities that have to do with strategic goals and uh, if it can't do all the things it needs to do and meet those top priorities then there's there's a problem there's a mismatch and and you have to do something about that it has to make the right investments to make sure that it is serving those business needs and it has to have some freedom in deciding what those right investments are Exactly. So you have to look at what value are you creating uh, in IT uh, in regards to the mission that you have in, in, in terms of serving your customers. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly something to, to look at. That's one reason why uh, I said you can't assume that you have to keep spending on the things you've been spending on in the past. You spend on those things if they're still adding value. So, so right. So it's, it's, so the most important thing is to really have that mission in mind, which is really what you're trying to accomplish for your for your end customers, rather than try to have this customer service 
relationship with IT and the business that can cause kind of an adversarial type of relationship. That makes a lot of sense. So the next question we have is from Andre, the SVP of IT operations and quality engineering at TrackPhone Wireless, uh, which is great because uh, we just had him on our podcast a couple weeks ago. He asked, in your book, War and Peace in IT, you talk about ways for breaking down walls and about business and IT being one and the same. COVID and the events of 2020 have given a lot of companies a more unified purpose. In addition, teams going through joint adversity tend to come out stronger. Are there any opportunities you can share for leveraging current events to further strengthen relationships, vision, communications, and organizational alignment? The challenge in a major transformation, of course, is inertia, you know, status quo. Typically, people assume that their status quo is okay. And if you want to change things, you have to make a case for why you why you want to make that change. Uh, and the assumption throughout is that it's okay to just sit back and accept the status quo. Usually it isn't, you know, if the, if your industry is being disrupted, it's not okay to just sit back and accept the status quo. But that's the way people often think is they're comfortable, they're staying where they are. So uh, in my government experience, it's easy to come by examples. We, you know, uh, everything was great until um, healthcare.gov and the failure of the CMS website, which was a wonderful disaster. And then I could go around to everybody in government who questioned the transformation I was trying to pull off and say, well, do you really want another one of those, you know, government.com failures, right? The, 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 um, the temporary disaster was a tool that we could use to move people out of their status quo experience. Um, I've also seen, and I, I, I think the, the questioner is alluding to this, um, people are, you know, they, they surprise themselves with being really good at adapting to a crisis. I, I think we've seen that around COVID. Um, we've seen companies mobilize their workforces a lot quicker than they would have thought they, they could have and, and get them to be productive. Um, and and uh, I saw that when we had to respond really quickly to changes in immigration law in my agency. All of a sudden, everybody comes together. They get really creative um, they get passionate about what they're doing. And so change happens that much faster. Um, that's certainly what I've seen. Right, right. Nobody wants a crisis, but sometimes it takes one in order to get the disruption you need to mm. have meaningful change. Yeah. I think in, um, in the absence of something that's pushing you along like a crisis, uh, it's a job of leaders in an organization to get that same kind of passion. And uh, it's not always easy to do. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things that leaders have to think about. How am I going to galvanize my, my people, um, get them excited about something that we're trying to do, get them to um, uh, feel urgency behind it. Um, and sometimes you, you can do that through like big, hairy, audacious goals. You know, here's this crazy, amazing goal. If we could accomplish this, this would be phenomenal. Everybody, you know, do what you can on it and people can get really excited about it, especially when they see that they're starting to have some success. But to me, that's one of the key functions of leadership and maybe one of the most challenging. I totally agree with that. Um, I think companies should be more risk averse, as you say. And uh, I also think that the, the, the message of you should f- be happy with failure is, is, not, a, is not something that uh, 
uh, is a good thing to say to people because in the end, who wants to fail? Nobody wants to fail, right? There's another point that you made uh, in one of your blog posts that I really like, and it was uh, that um, agility is a risk mit- mitigator. Um, that That's uh, something you believe very strongly in. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I agree. Speed speed is a big mitigator of risk. Um, a lot of people don't see it that way at first, but when they look at it uh, clearly and really think about it, it, it's kind of obvious in a way. Um, but back to that previous point about generating excitement and enthusiasm and motivation, uh, I think one of the most demotivating things, if you're, let's say, a software developer, is you don't get to see the results of your work for years. The, you know, the, you're not causing any um, positive benefit for the company until like two years from now when you finally finish your project and somebody is willing to roll it out. Um, it's a big demotivator if you can't see the results of what you're doing and working quickly, like, uh, agile teams and DevOps teams do work. When I say quickly, I mean, quickly getting things into the hands of users, um, getting value for the company. Uh, that's really motivating for somebody, let's say a software developer or, or an infrastructure person. Um, all of a sudden, the things that they're doing are not just things they're supposed to do. They're things that actually accomplish the goals of the organization that make users happy, that get smiles and congratulations and, you know, things like that. Um, so just moving to much more frequent, small, incremental releases uh, is something that an IT leader can do to help motivate their people and motivate them towards the success of the organization. Um, I think that um, sometimes we're a little bit unclear as technology leaders when we're talking to the non-technology people. And so uh, I have sort of a running battle. I don't know if you agree with me on this one uh, around telling organizations that they need to, they need to learn to fail fast and they need to be less risk averse. I, I don't think that's right, actually. That's what a lot of technologists say. Um, and when they say it, they scare the CFO and the CEO and everybody else who doesn't want to take more risks and uh, who doesn't want failure. Um, and, and to me, it's just a, a question of wording. It, it really is, uh, when we say fail fast, we don't really mean fail. What we mean is prove out ideas quickly before you invest fully into them, right? The idea of what we call fail fast is instead of making a big investment, which is risky, first do something small to test out whether that's a good investment. And if the result is that you shouldn't invest in it, then don't, right? That's that's hugely risk mitigating. It reduces failure. Um, and same thing around risk aversion. Uh, you, you don't want to say we should be less risk averse. In fact, maybe you should be more risk averse, but moving quickly and doing the things we call failing fast and, you know, agile and DevOps uh, reduces risk. So the more risk averse your company is, the more they should love these these new ways of doing things. Um, so I think a lot is in how we talk about it uh, is what I'm trying to say. Our next question is from uh, Dave. He's a VP and principal analyst from Forrester. And he asks, public cloud is still considered competition to a large segment of my enterprise IT organization. How do we convince the business that we're eager to help them innovate with the best services we can find when there's still so much cloud pushback in our IT ranks? 
It's it's really important, yeah. Uh, some DevOps thought leaders say the whole point of DevOps is to reduce fear. So uh, traditionally, uh, people are afraid to deploy new code. They're afraid because in the past, when they've done it, it's caused all sorts of problems. You know, they come in over the weekend, lots of pizza, lots of Red Bull. Um, you know, they uh, the, the employees come in on Monday and nothing works and it's a big disaster. But uh, the point of DevOps is that if you have that fear of doing deployments, then the best thing to do is to deploy more often. Because then you're deploying smaller deployments, you're getting really good at doing deployments, you're getting to be able to do them predictably, so you no longer have to be afraid to do it. And that's really, in a way, the whole point of DevOps. Agreed. Yeah. You know, um, if, you, if you make each event kind of like limit the blast radius, then the fear is less and it just makes you uh, kind of more willing to try things and uh, move more quickly and ultimately reach your goals. So here's our, our final question for today. It's uh, from uh, Mary. She's Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives uh, for IT at Live Nation. Uh, and she asks, talking about tough, I've had a role for several years that focus on bridging the gap between the different silos in IT and with business leaders. I found that there were often misconceptions between the two groups and the demand for product versus the timely delivering of such product project. Often the business wants projects done faster and more efficiently without seeing the balance you have to make with having the right IT team configuration skills, prioritization, and the duty of IT also to respond to immediate business critical issues. So I wanted to establish a relationship and communication strategy that opened a dialogue between what they needed to get done and also educate them on the world of IT and how the project was prioritized in the entire ecosystem. This communication helped create allies for IT and I found there was more and more mutual respect over several years of putting in that effort. However, it's tough to always balance that relationship. And I'm wondering if you have any strategies for a more sustainable way to do that. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great last question, I think, because it brings together a lot of what I've said in, in my previous answers. Um, first of all, I'm very uncomfortable with that distinction between IT and the business. Uh, nobody should have to prove anything to anybody else. What you have in the organization is a bunch of colleagues, and they're all colleagues, and they're all working together towards the same goals. What, what I found short circuits a lot of that conversation is to actually be very clear on the goals and then have the IT and the, and the non-IT business people collaborating specifically on accomplishing those goals, as opposed to IT trying to uh, fulfill the requirements that they're given. So, uh, for example, for a concrete example, um, we, had, uh, we had one process um, where our uh, status verifiers, we called them, could process 70 cases a day on the average. And uh, we knew as an agency that that wasn't enough. We needed to increase the number of cases they could process every day from 70. Well, that's, that's a great goal, right? And so the way we addressed the goal is we had a team that was partly technologists and partly business operations people, still a small team, but had representation from both. And we said to that team, increase the number of cases from 70. You can write code, you can uh, change business process, you can do whatever you want. You're a team of business and, and IT people working together. And they took incremental steps and we could watch on a dashboard 
um, the things they'd done, what impact it was having on the number of cases per day. So we saw it go 70, 75, 80, uh, 84, whatever. You know, every, every two weeks we would check and see what they'd accomplished. Well, if you're working on that basis where everybody is working together to try to accomplish a goal and, and it's visible to them what they're accomplishing, then a lot of these questions about, you know, we have to explain to you what we're doing and you have to explain to us what you are doing. All of that is irrelevant. Nobody, nobody cares anymore. All they know is that they're working together to raise that number of cases from 70. And uh, to me, that's the ideal. That's that's what we're trying to work towards as we talk about transformation and as we make changes for the, the digital era. Definitely. Yeah. It's all about the results. Uh, as usual, I agree uh, with you, Mark. Um, so I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Mark. Uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. And I want to encourage everyone to go check out your new book, War and Peace and IT, available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Uh, you can get the audio version on Audible. Uh, and uh, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jake. <laughs>